0: Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast. My name is Chris. Great to be with you again today. We have another really good episode for you. It is the fourth episode in our series, Clay, by Paul Hugabart, who works closely with Renew.org. In this episode, Paul is going to be talking about some practical ways to help people, especially young people, but really everyone, stay faithful to Jesus and an ever-shifting culture that tends to depend more on feelings-driven theology and morals instead of facts, instead of what the Bible says, that type of thing. He's gonna give some really practical tools and some great insight into this in this lesson today. One more thing before we check this out together. Next week is a big week. This is also a big week because we're leading up to it. Next week is our national conference that we have been waiting for. We will be up in Indianapolis next week. Really hope that you can join us Right after our conference for Renew, we also have the National Disciple Making Forum with our sister organization, discipleship.org. So we just invite you to check us out at Renew. Check us out for discipleship.org. We want to really help you get great practical tools, to take back to your ministry to take back and help people be able to be better disciples of Jesus and to have sound theology with that. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, make sure to grab them. There's still some space available and we'll see you there.
1: Well, I've really appreciated getting to share with you during this month as we've been in this series called Clay, What is Shaping You? And as we are asking that question, trying to move ourselves to the place where we are really thinking in a reflective manner, contemplating, wondering, what are those things that are shaping me? We've made several acknowledgements this month along the way, first beginning with this one that life is a constant process of being formed by experiences, or shaped, you could say, by experiences, by relationships, the content, like media, and all those other things that we consume that are constantly impressing themselves upon us. We're constantly being shaped. Maybe in more formative ways in the early years, but as we grow and as we age, we continue to be shaped By the days we live and the experiences we have, the people that we have relationships with, the media we consume, and so many other things, we've also made this acknowledgement that we don't always know what is shaping us. And then beyond that, we don't always know when something is shaping us. And last week, we made this acknowledgement, one that continues to sit in a very uncomfortable way with me, and it may you as well. And it's this, that the assumption that my life is primarily being shaped by God, even if I call myself a Christian, could be false. And again, that's because we don't often know, we're unaware, we're moving through life on cruise control. We don't know when something is shaping us. We don't know what we're being molded by at times because we're part of the flow. God has called us as Christians to not just be a part of the flow. In fact, sometimes we're called to swim directly upstream. God calls us to be people who go against, at times, the currents of this world. And that doesn't mean we're against the people of this world, but it means that sometimes we are called to move against the current of this world. But that's a difficult thing, as we acknowledged last week, that. Only 6% of U.S. adults or 9% of those identifying as Christians possess a biblical worldview. Or another way of saying that is only 9% of all people who call themselves Christians are committed to going upstream against the current of culture. Only 9% may have enough awareness of what is happening around us to even know what upstream looks like. I want to add to that just a little bit as we move into what we'll be thinking about this morning. And here's another thing that won't sit well with you, doesn't sit well with me. Again, capture the statistic in your mind. 9% of Christians, those identifying as Christians, possess a biblical worldview. But one step further, among Christian millennials and Gen Xers, Christian millennials and Gen Xers are up to eight times more likely to accept views derived from New Age spirituality, postmodernism, and secularism than boomers or elders, than those generations before them. And what are those things again? What are these things that, are, that they're more likely to accept, that my generation and some younger than me are more likely to accept? Remember, it's things like this. All people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. Or things like this. Meaning and purpose come from working hard to earn as much as possible so you can make the most of life. Or this one. There's no such thing as objective truth. Remember, we're not talking about whether or not we agree on what is objective truth. There have been disagreements about that for years. What is objective truth? what we're talking about is a disagreement about whether or not objective truth exists. We said this last week, and we're going to say it again this morning. We've got to acknowledge that the church has and has had a discipleship problem for longer than many of us would like to admit. And this is a problem because we in the church... We're called to make up, the people that make up the church are called to be world shapers. We're called to be influencing culture. If you are here with us yesterday, Dr. Barkley from the Stonecrest Church did an amazing job of shaping our understanding about the kind of influence we're supposed to have on the world around us. But then also shared with us this truth, that instead, even though we in the church are supposed to be world shapers, the church and the people who make up the church have often surrendered to being shaped by the world as opposed to stepping into our God-given role of shaping the world. In 2011, David Kinneman, especially as it relates to thinking about the next generation, David Kinneman of the Barna Group wrote that 59% of young adults with a Christian background had dropped out of church at some point in time in their 20s. And that comes from his book, You Lost Me. Maybe some of you read that one. In 2019, David Kinnaman released another book based upon some new research that showed that nearly 64% in 2019, so we inter- increased by roughly 5%. At 64%, nearly two-thirds of all U.S. 18 through 29-year-olds who grew up in church withdrew from church involvement after having been active as a child or adult. Again, we acknowledge that the church has and has had a discipleship problem for some time now. We also need to acknowledge this, that the church as a whole has continued to lose ground with the next generation. In 2011, it was 59%. In 2019, it's 64%? 64%? What's it going to be in 2024? We don't know. But what we do know, some really powerful research that Kinneman landed on, and in his book, Faith for Exiles, he reveals that this is true, except there is hope. There is hope. This is true, except when five factors are present. And I want to share with you those five factors this morning so that you'll understand what we can do as a church, as we're called to shape others, especially this next generation, we've been losing ground, but we don't have to continue losing ground. So what did Kinneman find? What did they find in this research? Well, first they found the first factor that was influential in molding and shaping the lives of young Christians so that they remain faithful. The first is this, that they learn to experience intimacy with Jesus. And what they said is this that through the church's gathered worship, times of Bible reading and prayer, young people need to meet with Jesus so that he will transform their experience of day-to-day life. In other words, the gathered experiences of the church, the gathered experience of the church ought to stimulate an understanding that this continues not just It doesn't doesn't just start and end here. It begins here and continues in life. It impacts your everyday life so that you learn to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, with the God who created you, with the Holy Spirit who indwells you, and that it becomes a real thing that you commune with him daily as if he were someone sitting right across the table from you. And when young people learn to have that kind of relationship with Jesus, their faith sticks. The second is this. We must help young people develop muscles of cultural discernment. In this book, they point out that young churchgoers spend 10 times longer each week consuming media through a screen. That's roughly 50 hours as they do attending church services. Youth groups, Bible reading, and daily prayer combined, so roughly five hours of that. So at a 10-to-1 ratio, now there's other research that shows it's actually probably a greater ratio, more like 20-to-1. But at a 10-to-1 ratio, they say young people are consuming media that does not build a biblical worldview. And so what do we need to help young people do? Develop muscles of cultural discernment. And I love this piece right here. The author suggests that one way that we can do this is to train our children to ask three simple questions about everything they watch, see, observe. One, where is God in this? Do you see God anywhere present in this? And if the answer is yes, then let's talk about it. If the answer is no, let's talk about that. Or the second question, what claim is being made about how life works? The meaning of life. What claim is being made about the purpose of life, about why you're here? Let's talk this out because there's a message just about in everything about how life works, about what your purpose is here. And this last one, I love this. Where, if anywhere, can hope and redemption be found? Hope and redemption are so missing in the stories and the narratives of the world around us. We as Christians possess the ultimate story of hope and redemption. And we need to teach our children to recognize that, our young people to recognize the hope and redemption found in Jesus Christ that doesn't just, it's not just a hope and redemption for them, then it's a hope and redemption that ought to mean something right now and ought to cause us to be a people of hope and redemption right now in this very moment. The next thing they say must be present is this, you need to form meaning, in, meaningful intergenerational relationships within the church. In other words, parents, it's not just enough for you to be teaching your children about Jesus. There need to be other people who adopt your children and teach them about Jesus as well, who are mentors in their lives, who show them the example of what a godly life looks like. Because we all know our kids look at us every now and then as parents are like, eh, my parents are a little, you know, I did it with my parents. I bet no matter how old you are, you did it with your parents. But when there are additional adults who come along and help shape their lives, the chance that their faith will be deeply rooted increases exponentially. Next one is this We need to train our young people for vocational discipleship. Man, I love this because this is what we see people in disciple making movements across the global south doing all the time. Yeah, you may be a dentist. You may be a garbage truck driver. You may be a waiter or a waitress. You may be whatever. But first and foremost, you're a disciple of Jesus. Wherever you walk, wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever you study, you're a disciple of Jesus. And not only that, you're a disciple maker. So as a dentist, you're a disciple maker. If you drive a garbage truck, you're a disciple maker. If you're a farmer, you're a disciple maker, whatever you do, you're a disciple first. So how will you live your faith out in whatever it is that God is calling you to do? How will you do that? And then the last one is this. We need to train our young people to engage in counter-cultural mission. This is the way they describe it. Those young people who stick with Christianity have a missional mission mindset. I want you to hear that. They have a missional mindset. They feel personally responsible for telling others about Jesus and see serving others and sharing the good news about Jesus as central to their identity. Man, I'd love to see a next generation who is so passionate about the good news of Jesus, who believe that Jesus is the hope and redemption of this world, who believe that we as the church have a responsibility to share our faith, that, man, they were constantly engaging in countercultural mission. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, I haven't always been the best example of what that should look like for my kids. Man, I want to be because I believe that the next generation could shape this nation and this world for the cause of the kingdom of God. So what they conclude is this, basically. We must hold out a holistic, integrated vision of the Christian life. Do you, do you get that? When you see all of this together, what we're called to do is hold out this holistic, right? this encompasses all, integrated, the Bible, the message of God works its way into my life in everything. It's not segmented. It's not compartmentalized. It's not I go to church on Sunday and then I do all this other stuff throughout the week. It's no this is our identity as people of God in everything we do. We're, as the Apostle Paul would say, ambassadors of God as we go. And what they call these types of Christians in this book is resilient disciples. Resilient disciples who live in the age, they call it, of digital Babylon. Exile, in a sense, and that's why the book is called Faith for exiles. Now, all that is good news, that if we could do those things consistently, we would see people, young people, the next generation who own their faith and who, frankly, probably do a better job than most of us as adults have done in walking with Jesus, in living out the mission of Jesus. But here's the truth. What they found is that resilient disciples only account for all only account for ten percent of all twenty something Christians now that 's hard to swallow, but it's also good to know that things can be better if we know the path forward here 's the beauty for years. Truth is, we we don't have to go to Barna's research to know what we ought to be doing as a church and as parents as we guide the next generation forward, as we have the chance to be those who shape others. This month we've been talking about the fact that God is shaping us, but he doesn't just want to shape you so that you can look like something better. Yes, that's true. He wants to shape you so that you can shape others. Perhaps one of the passages in Scripture that reveals this most clearly Comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And so if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to spend most of our time in the text there this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel so that you, your children, and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. I want you to see this generational passing down of the things of God from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. That's what he says right here. So that you, Moses is talking to the current generation, so that you, first you, that you may pay attention to the things of God. And then you can pass on to your children the things of God. And then guess what? They can pass it on to their children, the things of God. And so this is what Moses says then. Hear Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, o Israel, and this is often referred to as the Shema. Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Moses is telling the people, this is what life is about. This is the meaning and purpose of life. This is why you were created, so that you could learn to love God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that you could understand the identity of God. The Lord our God is one. And you're called to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He goes on to say this. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. It's part of your identity. It's who you are. It's always on your heart. And then he says this, impress. This is the one of words, if you remember, at the beginning of this series, we used to talk about the, the way we think about the idea of something being shaped. We will sometimes say, man, that really left its impression upon me, its imprint upon me, that experience did. And so Moses says to the people of Israel, impress these commandments. Talking about there, in that case, the Ten Commandments. Impress these commandments on your children. Now listen to what comes next. Here's how I want you to do that, Moses says. I want you to talk about them when you sit at home. I want you, with the next generation, Moses says, to have conversations in the home about the things of God. About the purpose of God in your life. About the call to love Him with all your heart and soul and strength. I want you to talk about them in your home. May your home be a place where the things of God are discussed often. Talked about often. Then he goes on to say this. I want you to talk about them too when you're walking along the road. I mean, we don't do a lot of walking along the road these days, right? We've got these things called cars and I wouldn't want that to go away. But just because we're not walking along the road doesn't mean we're not driving down the road and that there aren't awesome conversations we can have in the car with the people we care about. For, For me as a parent, that's become one of the most productive moments is to sit there in the car when I've got you know, as your kids get older, it gets a little tricky, right? But you got them captive in the car, take them to the place where they want to go. So don't just be a chauffeur. Be one who starts conversations about God, even in those moments. And then he says, when you lie down, I mean, as, as you go to bed, let these still be the things on your mind. And when you rise up, let these be the things on your mind. <laughs> Tie them as symbols on your hands, which was actually done. I mean, maybe the closest thing we do is have our our WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do, or some other reminder of, I'm called to live as a follower of Jesus. And then he says, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses, that was also done. We do this in other ways in our homes. Often we'll put up maybe a, a verse of scripture on a, on a beautiful plaque or a piece of art, something like that, so that we remember something that is significant, so that it can be seen with the eyes. But if I'm honest, those pieces of art and decoration in my house, even though they have scripture on them, Too infrequently does that scripture come off of them and become the discussion that's happening at our dinner tables and as we're walking. And Moses says, I want to give you a holistic view of how we shape the next generation so they will walk with God as we walk with God and maybe even do a better job of walking with God and loving him with their heart, soul, mind, and strength than we have done. So throughout this month, again, we've been making this claim that God wants to shape you. But what I want you to see plainly out of this passage and then a couple others real quickly is that God doesn't just want to shape you. God wants to use you to shape others. I mean, God wants to use you to shape others. Another way of saying that is to say this. You are being shaped by God so that you can join God in shaping others. So parents, specifically, parents, as we've just seen out of Deuteronomy 6, God wants to use you to shape your children so that they learn to love God with all they have. I mean, God wants to use you and work through you so that you will be purposeful and intentional about shaping your children. And one thing we heard at, at the conference yesterday is that There's this reality that that many parents of my generation, Gen Xers and older millennials, have a little bit of a guilt about shaping their children for the sake of God. Parents, we need to be convinced that there is nothing better that we could shape our children into than the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And we need to be unapologetic about that as we go through that. Don't feel bad that you are helping your children live out their God-ordained purpose. Embrace it and rejoice in it. We don't have time to look at these other passages, but I want to give you just real quickly the scriptural references about this because I think there's more application than just parents shaping children. Again, as Barna says, as David Kinnaman says through that research, others need to come alongside the next generation of disciples and disciple makers. And in Titus 2, 3-8, through 8, Paul says that to his disciple Titus. He says, look, we need to make sure that we're doing the work of having older folks come alongside younger folks. He says the older women need to come alongside the younger women. And Titus, you need to help shape these younger men. Disciple the next generation of disciples and disciple makers. And so if you don't have children in the home, don't stop shaping children. Don't stop shaping the next generation. Continue to pour into the next generation. And there are many opportunities here at Grace Chapel for you to do that. And then the last piece, Tom already mentioned this. God doesn't just want to use you to shape the next generation within the church. God wants to use you wherever you are to shape this world. And to shape individuals you come in contact with. Because that's how we shape the world. We don't just start by wanting to shape the world. We start by wanting to shape individuals and see them. See them discover who God created them to be. See them discover their identity in God. See them discover the identity of God. And so as Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says very clearly, we call this section the Great Commission. God is inviting you to join him on his mission. It's the co-mission. It's not just God on mission. It's us and God on mission. It's God and us on mission. We're joining Him on mission. God wants to use you to shape people in this world who do not yet know the good news of the kingdom. Now, here's here's what I want you to see as we close out this morning. God has always used people to shape other people. Always. Always. He used Moses to shape the people of Israel and other leaders after that. God has used parents to shape children. He's used other adults to come alongside older, wiser people, grandparents. God has always used, because it is the co mission, others to shape others. And no matter who you are, no matter where you find yourself right now, He's inviting you to join Him on that mission. He wants to use you. So this morning, as we wrap up this series, I want to pray over us. I don't want this to be the end. I want this to be the beginning of something. I mean, we're ending a series, but if we end a series and that's the end of what we've been talking about, then we wasted a lot of time in here. I hope this helps set the trajectory, not just for this year even, but for our lives. That we recognize God at work shaping us. And that out of that we develop a deep desire to join God at work as he continues to shape others. And wants to shape others through us as well. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you haven't ever submitted to God's call to be shaped by him. You're you just you're living your own life. You're going through the motions. You're doing your thing. But, but you've heard some things this morning that are compelling. But there is a God who wants you to know him. He wants to know you. He wants to shape you. He'll meet you where you are. But he won't leave you where you are. If that's a conversation you want to begin today, I'd I'd love to talk with you more about that. Folks with orange lanyards will talk with you more about that. You can find one of our elders here. They'd love to have that conversation with you. But if that's where you find yourself this morning, don't leave here without taking that conversation, without taking the next step in that conversation. Let me pray over you. God, it is my prayer that as many of us have been on a 21-day journey of prayer and fasting even that came to an end um, this past Friday, that Father... As Tom talked about in his communion thoughts, that prayer and fasting is not the end of something. It's often the beginning of something. God, may this series even be the beginning of something for many of us today. May we recognize, God, your desire to shape us and your promise to shape us into something so much better than we could ever be shaped by this world into or even shape ourselves into. God, you you have the master plan for that. You are the potter, we are the clay. So God, I pray that you will shape us. I pray that we will surrender to being shaped by you. And then God, I'm just, I'm amazed that you would take weak clay vessels such as we are, breakable, often broken, far from perfect, And then God, you would put a treasure inside of us and then you would call us to go share that treasure with others. God, I'm amazed that you would do that. God, I pray that we would be amazed by that and that it would move us to do something as you call us to shape others, to join you in your mission so that God, we can all grow to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, thank you for wanting to work through us. May we be shaped by you more than the things of this world. May we be shaped by you more than our own desires for ourselves. God, may we truly let you be the potter. This is what I pray. In Jesus' name, And the church said, amen.
0: If you're unfamiliar with who Renew.org is, I want to just take one second and tell you a little bit about who we are and what we're all about. We care a ton about the theology behind Jesus style disciple making and really creating that firm foundation for churches and organizations to build upon. We invite you to check us out at Renew.org where we have free resources eBooks podcast. And also we have a national conference that we have every year and we're gathering in Indianapolis this year on April 25th and 26th. We just invite you to grab some tickets, check us out online and see what we're all about.